We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And Lakers had a very bleak Christmas weekend. Uh, it started out before the games even started with a superficially optimistic, but maybe under the surface a little ominous uh, report on Anthony Davis, where we got word that he has a stress injury uh, in his foot. And he will be reevaluated. Woj had a a, a tweet kind of talking about how the Lakers for now, which is doing a lot of heavy lifting, that phrase for now, uh, hope that AD can come back without a procedure. And then on Friday night, the Lakers lost a maddening game that they shouldn't have lost uh, in the last seconds. LeBron's shoe goes flying off on a drive uh, as, as the Lakers get smited by the basketball gods, finds Dennis Schroeder wide open in the corner, but misses. Lakers drop that game 134 to 130. And then on Christmas, Lakers played Dallas and are up by 11 at halftime against a mostly catatonic uh, Dallas Mavericks team and then give it give up a 51-point third quarter, get outscored by 30 in the third quarter to drop that game. And so, D, there's a, uh, the Lakers are in a dire situation right now. And this weekend, I think, showed a few of the elements of that. But yeah, man, this is a, a code, code red situation so far as I'm concerned, uh, because if we don't get some reinforcements in here, it's going to be rough for a minute. Yeah. Remember when the Lakers were 2-10? and 10? And it was like, oh, damn, the season is in the balance and we're, I don't know, 12 games into the season. And it felt like we were speeding ahead a little bit, but it's just like the West and the nature of the standings and everything else. Well, after these back-to-back losses, the Lakers are back to seven games under 500. So all that digging that they did in order to get themselves out of that hole, the tremendous play from AD, the recaptured spirit, the prospects for this team sort of going on a run all of that has not only faded it's like it was written in disappearing ink it's gone they're only one game better than what they were through 12 games when they were two and ten right and so now another whatever 20 games have passed and they've 
Like what's it been? They've been one game over 500 or whatever, right? There's just so many moving parts here, Mike, about like what's what's going on with the team and and AD and um, Pete's right. That's just like it was a non-update update, I felt like. Like it, it had been a week and so maybe they had to give an update, but um, a, a quote unquote stress injury, the fact that it's a stress injury, like I don't even necessarily know what that means. Like normally when I hear that someone has a stress injury, it means that there's a fracture. There was reporting, I think, from Woj and maybe from other sources as well, that AD hasn't been feeling any pain. That's good news that he would be reevaluated in seven to 10 days, like potentially. Right. And that if things were looking good, that he might play again. But stress injuries are one of those things as well, where it's just like they just come back because you're putting more stress on it again. Yeah. yeah well, it's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, like no stress because I haven't been doing anything. So then it's going to feel better. And then, okay, well, now I have to go start playing NBA level basketball again. And then that creates a bunch of stress on your body. So the AD part, there's going to be like hovering concern around that. Um, And then the nature of the losses, one of the things that I hope to dig in, if not necessarily in this pod, but over the course of several pods and as we start to see it more and more, but there's a thing that's happening to this team, Mike, in third quarters. And to a certain extent, it's been happening all season because the Lakers have not been a very good third quarter team all season. But it's been crystallized, I feel like, with AD out because AD was covering up so much in terms of what the team could do defensively. And then even their paint focused attack offensively was built off of Anthony Davis. And I feel like they're not getting to the foul line as much. They're not threatening the rim as much. And it's because they don't have Anthony Davis. Yeah. It's a, I mean, code red is an operative title. I think (laughs) the start of the season was tough and there was definitely some bad luck. Uh, So I don't think, I think none of us agree that they were as bad as their record uh, at two and 10, but at the same time, the way that the roster is, any absence from AD um, or really LeBron, there are just so many difficult parts in terms of way the way that the pieces fit. And we've talked about the big wing thing relentlessly. And that's just showing up in, in a lot of different ways, uh, including, you know, we saw a five guard lineup uh, in the last game. And there have been plenty of one big and four guard lineups. And it's just it's just the opposite of what worked for the Lakers when they won the title. You know, when it was mostly long, big guys out there uh, and it, there are some exceptions in the league. But like to me, going small typically means more that instead of playing a traditional big center, you're just playing one like that's good on offense and that can still protect the rim. And there aren't that many of those guys. You know, it's it's Draymond and it's AD and it's Giannis and maybe as, as Evan Mobley develops some, he can get to that spot. But. That to me is more is the more effective small ball. It's not just being tiny um, all over the place. And there are reasons for that that we can get into. But so once AD goes down, like he had represented the hope for what this team could be by him playing at that MVP type level. And they were winning games and they were winning tough games. They won at Milwaukee and then AD got sick. Right. But that that trip was sort of the high point where, oh, this team can kind of play with and, and beat anybody if they're right. And the rotations were starting to make a little bit more sense. Maybe Max Christie jumps at Kendrick Nunn, you know, and, and so things were starting to come together to a point. And then with AD going down, I think that this is tied into what the last two losses have been. 
it's just a it's such a big morale hit and it's so difficult to overcome that even if you have a really deep big whatever kind of talented roster there's no team in the nba that loses a player of anthony davis's caliber and is fine and we don't know yet what's going to happen with ad but i think just we have to assume that they're going to be without him for I don't want to say the foreseeable future, but there's there's no report on him potentially coming back in X amount of time. So they can't necessarily plan for that return until there's some sort of update. And that level of the mix of uncertainty and just skepticism that might come naturally to one of the teammates, right? Like that is a very difficult thing to handle. And I think that they can do it in pockets like the first half against Dallas where the traps on Luca happen to be working and Dallas happens to be missing their shots. But eventually you know, it's, it's going to come back to the looking out and not seeing the player or the players that they need to see next to them out of the court. And that's something that's Pete is difficult to overcome. Yeah. You said that, you know, no team would be fine losing a player of AD's caliber, Mike, but I do expect us to be functional without one of our stars, and we're not. Uh, LeBron had a quote after the Dallas game where he said, without AD, we lose a lot of length that we don't have already. So we have to make up in ways that without AD, it's just very difficult, very challenging. At one point, we had a lineup where I think the tallest dude on the court, uh, where I think AR was the tallest dude on the court, yeah? So it's not rocket, rocket science to figure it out. And so that first sentence, without AD, we lose a lot of length that we don't have already. I want to zero in on that, in that... When you have Anthony Davis on your team and on the court in particular, you have a certain you have a high floor in terms of how athletic you are, how much length you have, how much size you have, because he's so absurdly gifted in these ways that he actually allows you to get away with certain things at other positions, D, that there are only a couple of players, like literally one or two other players in the league that you can do that around and be like, oh, we're going to play three guards essentially. And, you know, cosplay Pat Bev is a small forward, but we have Anthony Davis back there. And so to LeBron's quote right there, it's like, this is already a weakness of ours, but Anthony Davis is such a singular talent in this respect that he can make it work. Without him, we have to actually change how we play completely because there is no way to simulate that. And it like really, so it's not only a loss of talent, D, it's a loss of the one thing holding up an element of the team where it's like, yeah, that's just not going to work that the five guard lineups or just an overall lack of size. You don't have any forwards out there. And and so that is, and it's one of those things that you were like, you know, going into a season that there's a decent chance that Anthony Davis misses extended time during a season. So when you have a team and a roster that cannot survive those times without, and, and that have these fatal flaws without him, I don't know, man, like we're, we're in a tough spot. We are. And there's no getting around like look LeBron's quote was basically like I'm not going to put words in LeBron's mouth but I thought that was LeBron speak for like we ain't got enough right like yeah I mean it was a very politic way of saying it because he's framing it around the context of missing such an important player but the point that you make Pete about expecting the team to be able to be functional without one of the star players like that's 100 percent on point like and so look at the team that was built for after the championship that team still had all of that or not all but a bunch of quality depth 
from the title team, Mike, right? So KCP was still here. Caruso was still here. Kuz was still here. They swapped out Danny Green for Dennis Schroeder. They brought in Mark Gasol. They still had Markeith Morris. Wes Matthews. Yeah, they brought in Wes Matthews. And so that was a team that that team really suffered because both LeBron and AD were out for an extended period of time where both of them were out. And so it was left to a team of just like, oh, well, hey, Dennis, go out and be the best player tonight. Or you and Kuz are going to be like the one-two punch that carries the Lakers. And we know that that's not a viable plan, right? But if you just plug one of those players back in, LeBron or AD, that team is basically still going to be a 500-ish team. And And they were. Yes. And so, and that's the level of of like, oh, well, we need this to function correctly. Like that's the level that the team needs needs to get to. And they're just not. They've at their best, they've been a 500 team. Right. A little bit over 550. And at their worst, they've been a team that can be eight games under 500 at any given point in the season. And that's the part of this where there are just. And Mike, you mentioned it, like we've hammered the point about the big wings and this is that and the other. But to me, it's not even necessarily as much about the big wings as much as it is just in general about like functional size. And so Damian Jones, so AD's been out and Damian Jones hasn't really played. That five guard lineup is a product of the fact that like Wenyon actually didn't play that well against the Mavs and TB isn't as good of a defender as you need on any given, like on some nights he can be, but against some teams he can't, Pete. Yeah, he was the guy that was trapping in a lot of uh, that first half against Dallas. And that was one of the things I was wondering if Darvin would go to at some point with kind of the problems of TB. One of the ways that you work around having a guy at the five spot that isn't a great defender is to have them trap, right? Because it's, you know, you you give them additional help and then you give them a rotation. But you're also asking Thomas Bryant to go from trapping on the wing where Luke is going to drag it out as far as possible to make a long rotation to the opposite corner. There are adjustments we could have made, but it's like there is a ceiling on it would it whatever way you go with that and speaking of there were adjustments that that could be made that was like an acknowledgement that lebron even made but then he followed that point up with the quote that you read right and so so lebron was just like yeah could we have like made some adjustments faster or changed things up sure right but without ad right and then he went into what he said and and so if you don't have anthony davis but one of the main signings that you brought in this offseason in Damian Jones, and I say main because he's one of the dudes that was given a two-year contract when everyone else was given a one-year contract. So I think that there was an idea behind the contract that infers a sort of pecking order around the signings, right? And so if Jones can't really play, and on a night that Wenyon and TB aren't really looked at as like um, potential solutions to what ails you, then you end up having to play all these other smaller players because those are the only other big dudes that are on the roster. And so that's why I'm talking about like functional big guys. It's not just big wings. It's like big guys who can play against more opponents than what the Lakers seem to have on their roster. Yeah. And so all of the stuff with size and positions and it's, it's all, I think it's all accurate. I mean, 
I happen to think there's a certain there's a sort of best practice way, right, that we've seen NBA teams win titles over the years. Like, sure, that's that's true. It, it tends to be bigger guys. It, it tends to, you know, it tends to be guys that their best player is one of those those wings who can also play defense that you don't have to take off the floor, et cetera. Um, you can have it with a big center or you, but you have to have a smaller option that can still protect the rim, all that stuff. But I do think that like with this team, some of this just goes right back to Westbrook and you know, your third, if you have a third star or at least a third star in terms of salary slot and, you know, Russ was a minus 30 at Dallas, like you can bring in the slotting argument that Darius likes to make. And so when, when LeBron and AD are one and two, and then maybe your third closing guy is like an Austin Reeves, who's a great bargain and a great contract. But if Russ is then just sort of charged with changing the pace off the bench, leading a fast unit that gets up and down, maybe it's got Thomas Bryant and Wendy and Gabriel on it and a couple of shooters, you know, that, that unit has had some success at certain times of the games, but at other times of the game, it's just not going to work. Um, and especially with the way the teams are defending and playing Russ and, you know, he, he took 16 shots and he didn't actually turn the ball over, uh, which was great uh, against Dallas. And he did have four assists, but it's just, it's not what, it's not enough, right? And when you're, that's the whole purpose in three-star builds is that if something happens to one of them, no problem. The other two, or certainly even just one can put a very functional lineup out there that's going to compete against good teams. And, you know, the Lakers haven't had that with that group. Yep. And that, that to me is, goes back to, the way that you can build a roster is also limited with with that salary slot occupied as well. And listeners, forgive me. This is something that I know you've heard many, many times, but I, I do think it's always key to go back to that when we're trying to figure out, well, why don't they have center X or wing Z that can fit next to LeBron and AD? And, and that's part of the reason. Yeah, there are two parts to that, that like there's one element of it where 100% that's what, what it is, right? Like you run out of money and you're going to have vet minimum and, you know, mini MLE caliber guys filling those spots. There's also the part of it, though, that was resolvable in that if you have equivalent talent to our other vet men guys at those forward type of positions, like you at least need to have forwards on the team. They don't have to be great. And I'm not saying that it's the difference between us winning high level games and not right now, but you just drop to a level of dysfunctionality without having forwards on the squad. We've done that two years in a row. Let's take a break. I want to continue the Russ point that you brought up. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
It's been interesting to hear the narrative change on Russ since he's gone to the bench. So much of how basketball, I think, is viewed is through narrative, right? And more so than like watching every single game, especially on a team in a league that has 82 games a team. But for a decent portion of that, like Russ hasn't been very good in a minute and has not really left his imprint on the game in quite a while. During the first half of that game, Mike, in the text thread, you were rightly pointing out like, you know, yeah, we're up right now, but we don't really have anything aside from LeBron going uh, in the Dallas game in the first half. And part of that, one of my main thoughts was like the second unit is playing way too slow. There's been a certain amount of drifting from Russ lately where he hasn't impacted the game the way that he's capable of impacting the game. We can argue about his the merits of his game and what he brings versus what he takes off of the table, but it's been a, a very like kind of going through the motions in a lot of ways. And so when that's combined with not having a lot of size, like kind of in on a small ball team, especially a team as small as this, Russ is like probably our fifth or sixth most physical player, our most athletic player, right? Especially with AD out, one of our most athletic players. And so on a team that is in such a deficit in terms of strength, athleticism, and length with AD out, D, like Russ kind of imposing his will the way that he's capable of is important. And it's actually been a minute since he's done that, Mike, in ways that don't necessarily match up with the narrative. Well, so just to add a quick nugget onto this and I had mentioned something we were talking about, Russ, uh, as we as we sometimes do in the text thread. And I had mentioned during the stretch when the Lakers were playing really well. And I don't remember if it was seven and three or eight and two, but it was one of those stretches. And, and he had, you know, one of the worst plus minuses on the team in that stretch. And that was the stretch where they were they were getting things done. But and that's kind of where I want to set you up, Darius, but, uh, to bring it into the context of what Pete was just talking about. But I don't know if that the narrative, as Pete mentioned, had changed to, oh, look, everything's working great off the bench, but that that had started to slip even when the Lakers were playing well, at least to, to my recent recollection. Well, in talking about Russ, it's always complicated because if you look at the box score, Russ is in December, 14 points, 7.7 rebounds and 8.1 assists. And that's as a bench player, right? And so one of the things that always follows Russ is the idea of like counting stats. So he won an MVP because he was the first player to average a triple-double during the season since, since Oscar Robertson. He also had a ton of clutch games that season where he had a bunch of game winners and like even on the last game of the season that like pushed him up to the fifth seed or what or the mm-hmm. sixth seed where he hit that game winner against um Denver, I think that, that was three like, on the left wing. Yeah, yeah, yeah on the about play, like, yep. Right. And he had a bunch of like huge clutch moments that season. He certainly and, had the narrative. He certainly had the and narrative, he had narrative that year. Narrative. Not all of it was accurate because that team was not very good and they were they were destined to get smacked in the first round. But yes, it, the way that it was building was going in that direction. A lot of people protested it. But yeah, like KD had left too, Mike. And so there was a lot of narrative stuff that was pushing Russ up. And like to his credit, like he played really well as like a pure number one guy like did he play as well as other guys were other guys as deserving or more deserving of the award maybe whatever that's less my point to be made here the bigger point that i'm trying to make is that last year russ's numbers were so bad and his spirit looked so dejected remember that was a part of the conversation with mm-hmm. with russ as well is like and that flowed into even the first part of this season when he was originally a starter it was like he's not playing with any joy 
and that was like like and other players from other teams were saying this pete it wasn't just like oh like something that national pundits were saying like there's john wall saying like hey he needs to get back to playing with joy and Mm -hmm. one of the ways that the narrative shifts is just like hey like russ actually looks happier a lot of times right like he's playing to the crowd he's making some big plays like like that idea has changed and so with it the perception of him has changed but i just rattled off his box score stats right he's also shooting 41.4 percent from from the field and 20.6 percent from three on 3.1 attempts during december right and so 14 points eight rebounds eight assists basically um on 40 percent shooting and 20 percent from three and to mike's point earlier he is not able to carry units in a way anymore where he is the lone guy with sort of several replacement level players that are on the floor with him and with ad gone those stretches of the game are now longer and longer and so pete when mike was saying that's just like even when the lakers were playing well russ was one of the worst plus minus players on the team some of that you could eat based off the fact that it's just like oh well LeBron and AD are playing so well, they are carrying the other portions of the game. And Russ is like that long middle reliever that is eating innings that make it so that AD and LeBron can play 32 minutes a night rather than playing 35, 36, 38 minutes a night because they have to be on the floor longer. And so there was value in that. And so even if Russ is a minus nine in a game, the Lakers win by six, it's just like, well, you did your job tonight. You got counting stats. You got these other dudes involved and you might have the team might have been better in the portions that you were off the floor. But that's a function of like lineups and the fact that you're out there being a lone wolf with some of these other guys. But those stretches now are now like 15 minutes a game, 18 minutes a game where he's asked to carry some of these groups and these groups are no longer functional. That's not to say Russ is playing well because he's not. Like, I actually, like, I think a lot of his numbers are hollow and he's not competing defensively. And there are stretches where I feel like, oh, well, you're not rebounding at all, even if his rebounding numbers are high, right? And so there's a lot of intangible stuff that you need to get from actually watching the games. And I think that that was your point, a part of your point too, Pete. It's, It's like, oh, as the narrative shifts, you see the counting stats, you see the smiles, you see more of the highlights. And it's just like, hey, Russell Westbrook is back. But in reality, he's actually not helping as much. And when you make what you make, as Mike has brought it up, yep. and you swap out all of the role players in order to get a guy like this, and he can't actually functional, functionally carry you for a six-minute stretch and win that portion of the game, then you're in trouble. You're just in yep. trouble. In talking about that good stretch that you talked about, Mike, one of the things that I liked about how Darwin's rotation ended up kind of gelling is that he was trying to keep LeBron and AD on the court together as often as possible. So in previous years, 
we always had one of them on the court, right? Um, and so this is kind of the opposite rotation style where it's like, we're going to maximize the amount of time that LeBron and AD are playing together. And that's where Russ's ability to carry a unit and where I think some of the plus minus, like Russ was still helping us win games in that stretch, even though his plus minus was less. And Darius hit a lot of these points, but the idea being that like, okay, we're going to have stretches of the game where neither LeBron, LeBron nor AD are on the floor at the same time. But Russ, being the type of player that he is, Russ has a lot of experience being carrying units of like guys that are not that great and being, you know, slightly sub 500 with them. Right. These are not great teams, but the idea is like, hey, can we lose this this six minute stretch by two points or four points instead of 12 points. And then when LeBron and AD come back in, they're gelling, they're going to thump the, the team that's across from them. And so it was just kind of like hold it down in the wraparound type of minutes and in this fast pace when it's looser. Um, and which, but, which, which is all Pete, that's all true. I think that changed though in crunch time. And that's when they lost a lot of games when, yes. when Russ was then still used to wanting to carry a unit but other teams were desperately hoping that he would while LeBron and AD were out there and guarding him with the center. And right. So like that there, yes, I, I just always like to point out there was that optimal stretch where even if the plus minus wasn't great, I agree it was working fine functionally. But then when he stayed in the game, then that advantage kind of went away uh, and the Lakers paid for it. So that's where, again, these are the lessons that with a new team and a new coach, you kind of, this is how you work your way through the season. So like the Denver game where AD got hurt, but we won. One of the, obviously this was not the the headline with AD's injury and with the win and all of that. And Thomas Bryant was great in that game. But one of the super interesting season long storylines of that to me, Mike, was Russ did not come back in that game, despite the fact that he had been playing pretty well and AD was out, right? And so that's you're, you're spot on with that, that in the last five minutes of close games, God, our net rating, you guys should look at our numbers in the last five minutes of, it's, it's, uh, it's nasty. No, actually, don't. Don't look at those. <laughs> like, you'll be better off. And, and so that was... But but Russ had done a lot of good work in the bench units, right? And so it was like, well, if we could play Russ in these minutes, uh, but not have him in the closing lineup, and it was usually Dennis taking that spot. Now it creates other issues because his rebounding certainly does help quite a bit. That's probably the best role for Russ is in that Rondo role is basically what that is. Rondo didn't close a ton of games for us. He would sometimes, but was the guy that kind of kept the trains running uh, in the middle portions of the game. And... I've wondered how Russ has taken that and part of the like, hey, you're you're not running, you're not pushing the pace of your unit. I don't know. I wonder about those sorts of things that, you know, since then in, in the effort and kind of the umph that he's played with. But yeah, that's one of the, th the things, Mike, that that was kind of that's the ideal role for Russ, I think. And but with AD out, we just need him to step into a star role and he just doesn't have that anymore. Right. So this is where I, I just want to do a typical, at least for me, quick zoom out to what the what the west looks like and what all this means um and then you know we could always zero back in on on if any of this can change with what's currently going on with the roster but mm -hmm. you know you have to an extent there's these there are some of these teams that are struggling right now you know like minnesota has lost two in a row portland's lost three in a row so they're down there like 16 losses 17 losses they're not that far even though the lakers have 20 now which just man that's a lot of mm. losses um, Golden State, right? They they had a great performance against Memphis, rallying around the flag, but Steph's still going to be out for a while. So there are still all these teams in that mix where the plan is always seems like not 
crazy far away, but it's still, it, it's starting to be pushed a little bit um, to the point mm-hmm. where, you know, where you have to think like, well, hold on. Like there are 33 games have been played. Who knows when AD is going to come back? Even these teams that are struggling are now three, four games ahead. And, and you know, that, that it just gets dicey quick. Counting the loss column is perfectly fine, but normally we count the loss column as we get closer to the end of the season. So at this stage of the season, I actually like to look at the wins column a little bit more because that there's 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 function within the wins column because you're actually trying to climb the standings rather than stay above of people or figure out where the losses might come that sort of even you out. And so the Lakers have 13 wins. There's only one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams. There's seven teams in the entire league with 13 wins or fewer, including the Lakers. Mm-hmm. Only seven teams. So that means there's only six, six other teams besides the Lakers who have that number of wins or lower. Pete? One of the them reason the that we're even in the the reason we're in the conversation for the playoffs right now is because the NBA is the only league that has two thirds of it league, its league makes some version of the playoffs with the play in where it is like we're a bad team and we've been a bad team that we were we had gotten it back on track we were climbing our way out of it before AD turned his you know, before AD got hurt but like that's part of getting through a season and yeah yeah so watch so the Lakers are thirteen and twenty. Washington is 13 and 21. Orlando is 13 and 21. The Hornets, who just beat the Lakers, are 9 and 24. Detroit is 8 and 27. Like I said, the Lakers are 13 and 20. The only teams below them in the standings in the West are the Spurs. And the Lakers have three wins against the Spurs, right? The Spurs (laughs) are 10 and 22. And Houston is 9 and 23. And that's looking at the standings from the wins standpoint, right? And so the Lakers are going to Orlando. Coming out of that game, one of those teams is going to have 14 wins and the other one's going to stay on 13. So when you look at the league-wide standings, we looked at this stretch as like, this is the stretch where the Lakers have a string of like four or five games where all the teams are roughly around 500, right? Or well under. Orlando is well under. Charlotte is well under. They're on this road trip. Atlanta and Miami are right around 500, right? And if you go read what's up at like Miami Heat blogs, they're going to tell you like, oh my God, like what's wrong with the Heat, right? Sure. Like, and Atlanta is looked at as one of the sort of more underachieving teams around the league. Now they've had their own injury issues as well, but they traded all those picks for De- for DeJounte Murray, they were supposed to take a step up after going to the conference finals a couple of year, years ago and looking to recapture their mojo. And they're basically a 500 team, right? And so other teams around the league, to speak to Mike's point, like other teams around the league have their own problems, right? But in turning it back on the Lakers and something that you like, like to do, Pete, and I'd love for you to close us out, just sort of expanding on this thought is they have to look at themselves still And what are the Mm -hmm. Lakers going to do to be the best version of themselves? And in combining that with Mike's point from earlier about morale and sort of looking around and what do you have Mm -hmm. available? It's hard to be the best version of yourself if you've got a constant case of the Mondays. 
go win on. You gotta believe in yourself to be the best version of yourself. I mean, that's exactly what I'm saying. So please, please. Yeah, that's ground zero is is that belief. And that's something that that's something every team starts with to a certain degree. And then there's fuel added to that tank with how the season goes, or there's fuel taken away. And as you get to that, uh, as you get depleted, which I think is something that we're seeing more and more, it's that you can play well for a little bit, but the first little bit of adversity, you completely fall apart. And we've seen that a couple of times uh, over the course of this weekend. And so I, we'll talk on tomorrow's pod both about kind of some of the things that that the Lakers can do to be as functional as possible right now, but also the like big picture, what is like – where are we at in terms of trades? Where are we at in terms of just kind of the global view with the AD update and all of that? Um, but there's a reason this t- this is titled Code Red, is that that morale, like if this was the beginning of the year and we were like, hey, we're going to be without AD for a couple of months, but nothing's happened yet. There haven't been heartbreaking buzzer beater threes or injuries or small ball lineups that you've boxed out a guy too many times. And he like, just one last thing, the, the end of the Charlotte game, we lost on a goaltending call right before the last play with LeBron. When they showed the replay, they we challenge it, right? They review it to see if it was actually goaltending. Very close. They do call it a goaltending. But if you watch the replay on that, and they're showing it in, in slow motion on Spectrum, you've got Austin Reeves trying to block out Plumley, and he's just getting mauled. Like he's on one foot and he's falling away, right? And then you have Dennis Schroeder trying to block out PJ Washington. And there's a certain level of that too that's in the accumulation of morale where it's like, you're asking me to do something, and I'm trying my very best. Those two were trying very hard to box those guys out. But it's like, there's a reason why flyweights don't box welterweights and that plays into the whole like what you're once you get players to the point where you're like what you're asking me to do is something that I can't do that well even if I try really really hard then you're in a really dangerous spot and so there are things that with without Anthony Davis I basically think we need to size up we need to play fewer small ball concepts and play as big as we can and yes that means some Damian Jones minutes that doesn't mean this is going to be good I'm talking about like the best version of ourselves and we're getting we'll get into more detail tomorrow about this but when you're already at that point where your morale is low and then you go, yeah, well, if we put Wenyan and Damian Jones together, that's going to solve it. No one's going to believe that. You know what I'm saying? Like there's, you're still going to be at that point where it's one hit and one little bit of adversity and then you're done. And so, uh, we're at a very dangerous point right now. We talked about this a little bit last week, Mike, on the pod that you and I did, that we're in a danger zone. And we saw that play out over the course of this weekend. Very, uh, very critical couple of weeks coming up for the Lakers in a number of ways. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about more of it. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. 
Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasol, pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant, picked up by Bell. There's the move, two, one, miss it! It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant, yes! And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.